the tale of Nur ad-Din al-Ali too. When the day arose and the doors were opened, the folk who came forth saw a handsome youth, with no other raiment but his blue shirt of gold-embroidered silk and skull cap, laying upon the ground, drowned in sleep after the hard labor of the night which had not suffered him to take his rest. So the folk looking at him said, Oh, luck, with whom this one spent the night, would he had waited to don his garments? Quoth another, A sorry lot are the sons of great families. Haply he but now came forth of the tavern on some occasion of his own, and his wine flew to his head, whereby he hath missed the place he was making for, and strayed until he came to the gate of the city, and finding it shut, lay him down, and too, bye-bye. As the people were bandying guesses about him, suddenly the morning breeze blew upon Badr al-Din, and raising his shirt to the middle, showed a stomach and navel with something below it, and legs and thighs clear as crystal and smooth as cream. Cried the people, By Allah, he's a pretty fellow! And at the cry, Badr al-Din awoke and found himself lying at the city gate with a crowd gathered around him. At this he greatly marveled and asked, Where am I, O good folk? And what causeth you thus to gather round me? And what have I had to do with you? And they answered, We found thee lying here doing the call of dawn prayer, and this is all we know of the matter. But where didst thou lie last night? By Allah, O good people, I lay last night in Cairo. Said somebody, Thou hast surely been eating hashish. And another, Ho, 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 he is a fool. And a third, He is a sweet wheel. And the fourth asked him, Art thou out of thy mind? Thou sleepest in Cairo, and thou wakest in the morning at the gate of Damascus City? Cried he, By Allah, my good people, one and all, I lie not to you. Indeed, I lay yesternight night in the land of Egypt, and yesternoon I was at Basra. Quoth one, Well, well. And quoth another, Ho, ho. <laughs> and the third, So, so. And the fourth cried, This youth is mad, possessed of the jinni. So they clapped hands at him and said to one another, Alas, the pity of it for his youth. By Allah, a madman. And madness is no respecter of persons. Then they said to him, Collect thy wits and return to thy reason. How couldst thou be in Basora yesterday, and Cairo yesternight, and withal awake in Damascus this morning? But he persisted. Indeed, I was a bridegroom in Cairo last night. Be like thou hast been dreaming, rejoined they, and saw this all in thy sleep. So Hassan took thought for a while and said to them, By Allah, this is no dream, no vision like doth it seem. I certainly was in Cairo where they displayed the bride before me, in presence of a third person, the lunchback groom who was sitting hard by. By Allah, O oh my brother, this be no dream, and if it were a dream, where is the bag of gold I bore with me, and where are my turban and my robe, and my trousers? Then he rose and entered the city, threading its highways and byways and bazaar streets, and the people pressed upon him and jeered at him, crying out, Madman! <laughs> Madman! Madman! Mad Mad he, beside himself with rage, took refuge in a cook's shop. Now that cook had been a trifle too clever, that is, a rogue and a thief. But Allah had made him repent and turned from his evil ways and opened the cook shop. And all the people of Damascus stood in fear of his boldness and mischief. So when the crowd saw the youth enter his shop, they dispersed, being afraid of him, and went their ways. The cook looked at Badr al-Din and, noting his beauty and loveliness, fell in love with him forthright and said, Whence comest thou, O youth? Tell me at once thy tale. For that art becomes dearer to me than my soul. So Hassan recounted all that had befallen him from beginning to end, but in repetition there is no fruition. And the cook said, O oh my lord Balaladin, doubtless thou knowest that this case is wondrous and this story marvelous. Therefore, O oh my son, hide what hath betitted thee till Allah dispels what ills be thine, and tarry with me here the meanwhile. For I have no child, and I will adopt thee. Badr al-Din replied, Be it as thou wilt, O my uncle. Whereupon the cook went to the bazaar and bought him a fine suit of clothes and made him don it. Then fared with him to the Ghazi and formally declared that he was his son. 
So, Badr al-Din Hassan became known in Damascus city as the cook's son, and he sat with him in the shop to take the silver, and on this wise he sojourned there for a time. Thus far concerning him, but as regards his cousin, the Lady of Beauty, when morning dawned she awoke and missed Badr al-Din Hassan from her side, but she thought that he had gone to the pretty, and she sat expecting him for an hour or so, when behold, entered her father Shams al-Din Muhammad, Wazir of Egypt. Now he was disconsolate by reason of what had befallen him through the Sultan, who had entreated him harshly and married his daughter by force to the lowest of his menials, and he too to a lump of a groom, bunch-backed with all, and he said to himself, Slay this daughter of mine, of her own free will she hath wielded a person to this accursed girl. So he came to the door of the bride's private chambers and said, Oh, sit out, Hussein! She answered him, Here am I, here am I, oh my lord, and came out unsteady of gait after the pains and pleasures of the night. And she kissed his hand, her face showing redoubled brightness and beauty for having lain in the arms of that gazelle, her cousin. When her father, the wazir, saw her in such case, he asked her, O thou accursed, art thou rejoicing because of this horse groom? And Sitel Husn smiled sweetly and answered, by Allah, don't ridicule me. Enough of what passed yesterday when folk laughed at me and evened me with that groom fellow who is not worthy to bring my husband's shoes, slippers, nay, who is not worth the paring of my husband's nails. By the Lord, never in my life have I nighted a night so sweet as yesterday. So don't mock by reminding me of the gobo. When her parent heard her words, he was filled with fury, and his eyes glared and stared, so that little of them showed save the whites, and he cried, Fie upon thee! What words are these? T'was the hunchbacked horse-groom who passed the night with thee. Allah upon thee! replied the Lady of Beauty. Do not worry me about the gobo. Allah damn his father, and leave jesting with me, for this groom was only hired for ten dinars and a porringer of meat, and he took his wage and went his way. As for me, I entered the bridal chamber, where I found my true bridegroom sitting, after the singer woman had displayed me to him, the same who had crossed their hands with red gold, till every pauper that was present waxed wealthy, and I passed the night on the breast of my bonny man, a most lively darling, with his black eyes and joined eyebrows. When her parent heard these words, the light before his face became night, and he cried out at her, saying, O oh, thou whore, what is thy, tellest me, where be thy wits? Oh, my father, she rejoined, thou breakest my heart enough for thee that thou hast been so hard upon me. Indeed, my husband who took my virginity is but just now gone to the draught house, and I feel that I have conceived by him. The wazir rose in much marvel and entered the privy where he found the hunchbacked groom and his head in the hole and his heels in the air. At this sight he was confounded and said, None other than he, the rascal hunchback. So he called to him, Oh, hunchback! Vigabo grunted them, Taku! Taku! Thinking it was the Ifrit spoke to him. So the wazir shouted at him and said, Speak out, or I'll strike off that pig with this sword. Then quoth the hunchback, By Allah, O Sheikh of the Ifrits, ever since thou settest me in this place, I have not lifted my head. So Allah upon thee, take pity and entreat me kindly. When the wazir heard this, he had asked, What is this thou sayest? I'm bride's father and no Ifrit? Enough for thee that thou hast well nigh done me die. Now go thy ways before he come upon thee who hath served me thus. Could ye not marry me to any save the lady love of buffaloes and the beloved of Ifrits? Allah curse her and curse him who married me to her and was the cause of this my case. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the twenty-third night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the hunchback queen spake to the bride's father, saying, Allah curse him who was the cause of this my case. Then said the wazir to him, Up and out of this place! Am I mad? cried the groom, That I should go with thee without leave of the Ifrits whose last words to me were, So hath the sun risen or no? For I dare not budge from this place till then. Asked the wazir, Who brought thee hither? 
And he answered, I came here yesternight for the call of nature and do what none can do for me. When lo, a mouse came out of the wall. It scooped me and swelled and waxed gross till it was big as a buffalo. It spoke to me words that entered my ears. Then he left me here and went away. Allah cursed the bride and him who married me to her. The vizier walked up to him and lifted his head out of the cesspool. And he fared forth running for dear life, hardly crediting that the sun had risen, and repaired to the sultan to whom he told all that had befallen him in the decree. But the wazir returned to the bride's private chambers, sore troubled in spirit about her, and said to her, My daughter, explain this strange matter to me, quoth she. Tis simply this. The bridegroom to whom they displayed me yesterday lay with me all night and took my virginity, and I am with child by him. He is my husband, and if thou believe me not, there are his turban, twisted as it was, lying on the settee, and his dagger and his trousers beneath the bed with a something, I would not what, wrapped up in them. When her father heard this, he entered the private chamber and found the turban which had been left there by Badr al-Din Hassan, his brother's son. And he took it in hand and turned it over, saying, This is turban worn by viziers. Say that it is of most of stuff. So he opened it and, finding what seemed to be an amulet sewn up in the bed, he unsewed the lining and took it out. Then he lifted up the trousers wherein was the purse of a thousand gold pieces and, opening that also, found in it a written paper. This he read, and it was the sale receipt of the Jew in the name of Badr al-Din Hassan, the son of Nur al-Din Ali, the Egyptian. And a thousand denaires were also there. No sooner than Shams al-Din read this than he cried out with a loud cry and fell to the ground fainting. And as soon as he revived and understood the gist of the matter, he marveled and said, There is no God, but the God, the Almighty, is over all things. Knowest thou, O my daughter, who was it that became the husband of thy virginity? Answered she, No. And he said, Verily, he is the son of my brother, thy cousin, and this thousand dinars is thy dowry. Praise be to Allah, and I would wot how this matter came about. Then opened he the amulet which was sewn up and found therein a paper in the handwriting of his deceased brother, Nur al-Din the Egyptian, father of Badr al-Din Hassan. And when he saw the handwriting, he kissed it again and again, and he wept and wailed over his dead brother and improvised these lines. I see their traces, and with pain I melt, and on their Wilhelm homes I weep and yearn. And him I pray, who dealt this parting blow, some day he deign vouchsafe a safe return. When he ceased versifying, he read the scroll and found in it recorded the dates of his brother's marriage with the daughter of the wazir of Basura, and of his going in to her and her conception, the birth date of Badr al-Din Hassan, and all of his brother's history and doings up to his dying day. So he marveled much and shook with joy and, comparing the dates with his own marriage and going into his wife and the birth of his daughter, Sid al-Hassan, he found that they perfectly agreed. So he took the document and, repairing with it to the sultan, acquainted him with what had passed, from first to last, whereat the king marveled and commanded the case to be at once recorded. The wazir abode that day, expecting to see his brother's son, but he came not. And he waited a second day, a third day, and so on to the seventh day without any tidings of him. So he said, By Allah, I will do a deed such as none have ever done before me. And he took reed pen and ink and drew upon a sheet of paper the plan of the whole house, showing whereabouts was the private chamber with the curtain in such a place and the furniture in such another and so on with all that was in the room. Then he folded up the sketch and, causing all the furniture to be collected, he took Badr al-Din's garments and the turban and fez and robe and purse, and carried the whole to his house and locked them up against the coming of his nephew, Badr al-Din Hassan, the son of his lost brother, with an iron padlock on which he set his seal. As for the wazir's daughter, when her tale of months was fulfilled, she bare a son like the full moon, the image of his father in beauty and loveliness and fair proportions and perfect grace. They cut his navel string and culled his eyelids to strengthen his eyes and gave him over to the nurses and nursery governess, naming him Ajit, the Wonderful. His day was as a month, and his month was as a year, and, when seven years had passed over him, his grandfather sent him to school, enjoining the master to teach him Koran reading and to educate him well. 
He remained at the school for four years till he began to bully his schoolfellows and abuse them and bash them and thrash them and say, Who among you is like me? I am the son of Wazir of Egypt. At last the boys came in a body to him and hard usage they were wont to have from a sheep and he said to them, I will tell you somewhat you may do to me so that you shall leave off paying for the school. It is this. And I enter tomorrow. Take me down about him. Say someone of you. By Allah, none shall play with us in this game except he tell us the names of his mama and his papa. For he who knows not the names of his mother and his father is a bastard, a son of adultery, and he shall not play with us. When morning dawned, the boys came to school, Ajib being one of them. They all flocked around him, saying, We will play a game where none can join us and tell us the name of his mama and his papa. And they all cried. <laughs> then quoth one of them, My name's Machi, and my mommy's name is Alawiya, and my daddy's is Aldin. Another spoken like guy, yet a third, till Ajib's turn came, and he said, My name is Ajib, and my mother's is Sit al Hasu, and my father Shams al-Din, the vizier of Cairo. By Allah, cried they, the vizier is not thy true father. Wazir is my father in very deed. Then the boys all laughed and clapped their hands at him, saying, <laughs> He does not know who is his papa. Get out from among us, for none shall play with us except he know his father's name. Thereupon they dispersed him around and left him to scorn, so that his breast was straightened and the nylon shook with tears and her feelings. Then said the monitor to him, Know that the wazir is thy grandfather, the father of thy mother, Sit al Husn, and not thy father. As for thy father, neither dost thou know him, nor yet do we, for the Sultan married thy mother to the rich black horseman, the Bedini, the her, nor hast no known father. Me, then, comparing thyself too adventurously with the little ones of the school, till thou know that thou hast a lawful father, for until then thou wilt pass for a child of adultery amongst them. Least thou not that even a huckster's son knoweth his own sire, thy grandfather is the wazir of Egypt. But as for thy father, we wot him not, and we indeed that thou hast none, for return to thy sound senses. Queen Ajib heard these insulting words from the monitor and the schoolboys and understood the reproach they put upon him. He went out at once and ran to his mother, sit out for him, took him playing. He was crying so bitterly that his tears prevented his speech for a while. When she heard his sobs and saw his tears, it burned as if thought were on fire for him, and she said, Oh, my son, why dost thou weep? Allah, keep the tears from thine eyes. Tell me what hath betided thee. So he told her all that he had heard from the boys and from the monitor and ended with asking, And who, O oh my mother, is my father? She answered, Thy father is the wazir of Egypt. But he said, Do not lie to me. The wazir is thy father, not mine. Who then is my father? Except thou tell me the very truth, I will kill myself with this hanger. When his mother heard him speak of his father, she wept, remembering her cousin and the bridal night with him and all that occurred thereon and then, and she repeated these couplets. Love in they, heart they lit and went their ways, and all I love to furthest lands withdrew. And when they left me, sufferance also left. And when we parted, patience bade adieu. They fled, and flying with my joys they fled. In very consistency my spirit flew. They made my eyelids flow with severance tears, and to the parting pang these drops are due. And when I long to see reunion day, my groans prolonging sore for Ruth I sue. Then in my heart of hearts their shapes I trace, and love and longing care and kark renew. Last, O oh ye, whose names cling round me like a cloak, whose love yet closer than a shirt I drew. Beloved ones, how long this hard despite? How long this severance and this coy shy flight? Then she wailed and shrieked aloud, and her son did the like. And behold, in came the wazir, whose heart burned within him at the sight of their lamentations. And he said, What makes you weep? So the lady of beauty acquainted him with what had happened between her son and the schoolboys, and he also wept, calling to mind his brother and what had passed between them and what had betied his daughter and how he failed to find a mystery there was in the matter. 
Then he rose at once and, preparing to the audience hall, went straight to the king and told his tale and craved permission to travel eastward to the city of Bussara and ask after his brother's son. Furthermore, he besought the sultan to write for him a letter's patent authorizing him to seize upon Badr al-Din, his nephew and son-in-law, wheresoever he might find him. And he wept before the king, who had pity on him and wrote royal autographs to his deputies in all climes and countries and cities, where it was he rejoiced and prayed for blessing on him. Then, taking leave of his sovereign, he returned to his house where he equipped himself and his daughter and his adopted child, Ajib, with all things meet for a long march, and set out and traveled for the first day and the second and the third and so forth, till he arrived at Damascus city. He found it a fair place abounding in trees and streams, even as the poet said of it. When I nighted and dayed in Damascus town, time spare such another he ne'er should view. And carelessly slept under a ring of night, till dappled morn and her smiles renewed, and dewdrops on branch in their beauty hold, like pearls to be dropped in a zephyr blue. And the lake was the cage, where birds read and note, and the clouds set points to what breezes wrote. The wazir encamped in the open space called Al Hasa, and after pitching tents, said to his servants. A halt here for two days. So they went into the city upon their several occasions. This to sell and this to buy. This to go to the Hammam and to visit the cathedral mosque of Banu Mia, the Amiris, whose like is not in this world. Ajib also went with his attendant eunuch for solace and diversion to the city and the servant followed with a quarter step of almond wood so heavy that if he struck a camel there with the beast would never rise again. When the people of Damascus saw Ajib's beauty and brilliancy and perfect grace and symmetry, for he was a marvel of comeliness and winning loveliness, softer than the cool breeze of the north, sweeter than limpid waters to a man in drought, and pleasanter than the health for which sick man sooth, a mighty many followed him whilst others ran on before, and sat down on the road until he had come up, that they might gaze upon him till, as destiny had decreed, the eunuch stopped outside the shop of Ajib's father. Now his beard had grown long and thick, and his wits had ripened during the twelve years which had passed over him, and the cook and ex rogue having died, the so-called Hassan of Basara has succeeded to his goods and shop, for that he had been formally adopted by the Kazi and the witnesses. When his son and the eunuch stepped before him, he gazed on Ajib, and, seeing how very beautiful he was, his heart fluttered and throbbed, and blood drew to blood, his natural affection spake out, and his bowels yearned over him. He had just dressed a conserve of pomegranate grains with sugar, and heaven implanted love wrought within him. So he called to his son Ajib, and said, O oh, my lord, O oh, thou who hast gotten the mastery of my heart, and my very vitals into whom my bowels yearn, say me, Wilt thou enter my house and solace my soul by eating of my meat? Then his eyes streamed with tears which he could not stay, for he bethought him of what he had been and what he had become. When Ajib heard his father's words, his heart also yearned himwards, and he looked at the eunuch and said to him, Of a truth, O my good God, my heart yearns to this cook. He is as one that hath a son far away from him. So let us enter and gladden his heart, by tasting of his hospitality. Perchance for our so doing, Allah may reunite me with my father. When the eunuch heard these words, he cried, A fine thing this, by Allah! Shall the sons of wazirs be seen eating in a common cook's shop? Indeed, I keep off the folk from thee with this quarterstaff, lest they even look upon thee, and I dare not suffer thee to enter this shop at all. While Hassan of Basra heard his speech and marveled and turned to the eunuch with the tears pouring down his cheeks, and Ajib said, <laughs> Verily, my heart loves him. But he answered, Leave this talk, thou shalt not go in. Thereupon the father turned to the eunuch and said, O oh, worthy sir, why wilt thou not gladden my soul by entering my shop? O oh, thou who art like a chestnut, Dark without, but white of heart within. O thou of the like of whom a certain poet said. <laughs> the eunuch burst out a laughing and asked, Said what? Speak out by Allah and be quick about it. So Hassan the Basarite began reciting these couplets. If not master of manners or aught but discreet, in the household of kings no trust could he take. 
And then for the harem, what eunuch is he whom angels would serve for his service's sake? The eunuch marveled and was pleased at these words, so he took Ajib by the hand and went into the cook shop, whereupon Hassan the Basarite ladled into his saucer some conserve of pomegranate grains wonderfully good, dressed with almonds and sugar, saying, You have honored me with your company. Eat then, and health and happiness to you. Thereupon Ajib said to his father, Sit thee down and eat with us, so perchance Allah may unite us with him we long for. Quoth Hassan, O oh, my son, hast thou then been afflicted in thy tender years with parting from those thou lovest? Quoth Ajib, Even so, O oh, uncle mine, my heart burns for the loss of a beloved one who is none other than my father. And indeed, I come forth, I and my grandfather, to circle and search the world for him. Oh, the pity of it! And how I long to meet him! Then he wept with exceeding for his own bereavement, which recalled to him his long separation from dear friends and from his mother, and the eunuch was moved to pity for him. Then they ate together till they were satisfied, and Ajib and the slave rose and left the shop. Here it Hassan the Basarite felt as if though his soul had departed his body and had gone with him, for he could not lose sight of the boy during the twinkling of an eye. Albeit he knew not that Ajib was his son. So he locked up his shop and hastened after them, and he walked so fast that he came up with them before they had gone out of the western gate. The eunuch turned and asked him, What ails thee? And Badr al-Din answered, When ye went from me, meseemed my soul had gone with you, and as I had business without the city gate, I purposed to bear you company till my matter was ordered and so returned. The eunuch was angered and said to Ajib, This is just what I feared. We ate that unlucky mouthful, which we are bound to respect, and here is this fellow following us from place to place. For the vulgar are ever the vulgar. Ajib, turning and seeing the cook just behind them, was wroth in his face reddened with rage, and he said to the servant, Let him walk the highway of the Muslims. But when we turn off it to our tents and find that he still follows us, we will send him about his business with a flea in his ear. Then he bowed his head and walked on. The eunuch walked behind him. But Hassan of Basra followed them to the plain of Al-Hassad. And as they drew near to the tents, they turned round and saw him close on their heels. So Ajib was very angry, fearing that the eunuch might tell his grandfather what had happened. His indignation was hotter for the apprehension, lest any say that after he had entered the cook shop, the cook had followed him. So he turned and looked at Hassan of Basra and found his eyes fixed on his own, for the father had become a body without a soul, and it seemed to Ajib that his eyes were a treacherous eye or that he was some lewd fellow. So his rage redoubled and, stooping down, he took a stone weighing half a pound and threw it at his father. It struck him on the forehead, cutting it open from eyebrow to eyebrow and causing blood streaming down, and Hassan fell to the ground in a swoon whilst Ajib and the eunuch made for the tents. When the father came to his, he wiped away the blood and tore off a strip of his turban and bound his head, blaming himself the while, saying, I wronged the lad by shutting up my shop and following, so that he thought I was some evil-minded fellow. Then he returned to his place where he busied about the sale of sweetmeats, and he yearned after his mother at Basura and wept over her and broke out, repeating, Unjust it were to bid the world be just, and blame her not. She ne'er was made for justice. Take what she gives thee, leave all grief aside, for now to fare and then to foul her lust is. So, Hassan of Basara set himself steadily to sell his sweetmeats, but the wazir, his uncle, halted in Damascus three days and then marched upon the Messiah, and passing through that town he made inquiry therein at every place where he rested. Thence he fared on way of Hamad to Aleppo, and thence to the Arabaka, and the Meridin, and Mosul, still inquiring till he arrived at Basara's city. Here, as soon as he had secured a lodging, he presented himself before the sultan, who entreated him with high honor and respect due to his rank, and asked the cause of his coming. The wazir acquainted him with his history and told him that the minister Nur al-Din was his brother, whereupon the sultan exclaimed, Allah have mercy upon him, and added, My good sahib, he was my wazir for fifteen years, and I loved him exceedingly. Then he died, leaving a son who abode only a single month after his father's death, since which time he has disappeared, and we could gain no tidings of him. But his mother, who is the daughter of my former minister, 
is still among us. When the wazir Shams al-Din heard that his nephew's mother was alive and well, he rejoiced and said, O oh, king, I much desired to meet her. The king on the instant gave him leave to visit her, so he betook himself to the mansion of his brother, Nur al-Din, and cast sorrowful glances on all things in and around it and kissed the threshold. Then he bethought himself of his brother, Nur al-Din Ali, and how he had died in a strange land far from kith and kin and friends, and wept and repeated these lines. I wandered mid these walls, my Layla's walls, and kissing this and other walls I roam. Tis not the walls or roof my heart so loves, but those who in this house had made their home. Then he passed through the gate into the courtyard and found a vaulted doorway builded of hardest sinite, inlaid with sundry kinds of multicolored marble. Into this he walked and wandered about the house, and, throwing many glances around, saw the name of his brother, Nuraldin, written in gold wash upon the walls. So he went up to the inscription and kissed it and wept and thought how he had been separated from his brother and now lost him forever, and recited these couplets. I ask of you from every rising sun, and ech, I ask of flashes leaven light, when I pass my nights in passion pain, yet ne'er I claim me of my painful plight. My love, if longer last this parting throw, little by little shall it waste my sprite. And thou wouldst bless these eyne with sight of thee. One day on earth I crave none other sight. Think not another could possess my mind, nor length, nor breadth, for other love I find. Then he walked on till he came to the apartment of his brother's widow, the mother of Badr al-Din Hassan, the Egyptian. Now, from the time of her son's disappearance, she had never ceased weeping and wailing through the light hours in the dark, and when the years grew longsome with her, she built for him a tomb of marble in the midst of the saloon, and there used to weep for him day and night, never sleeping save thereby. When the wazir drew near her apartment, he heard her voice and stood behind the door while she addressed the sepulchre in verse and said, Answer, by Allah, sepulchre, all his beauty's gone. Change the power to blight his charms. That beauty's paragon? Thou art not earth, O Sepulchre, nor art thou sky to me. How comes it then, in the icy conjoint, the blanched moon? While she was bemoaning herself after this fashion, behold, the wazir went in and saluted and informed her that he was her husband's brother, and telling her all that had passed between them, laid open before her the whole story. How her son, Badr al-Din Hassan, had spent a whole night with his daughter a full ten years ago, but had disappeared in the morning. And he ended with saying, My daughter, conceived by thy son, and bear a mere child, who is now with me, and he is thy son, and thy son's son, and my daughter. When she heard the tidings that her boy, Badr al-Din, was still alive and saw her brother-in-law, she rose up to him and threw herself at his feet and kissed him, reciting these lines. Allah, be good to him that gives glad tidings to my steps. And very soon, for better news mine ears will never see. Were he content with worn-out robe upon his back I throw, a heart to pieces rent and torn when heard the word, Adieu. When the wazir sent for Ajib and his grandmother stood up and fell on his neck and wept, but Shams al-Din said to her, This is no time for weeping. This is the time to get thee ready for traveling with us to the land of Egypt. Happily Allah will reunite me and thee with thy son and my nephew. Allah be good to him that gives glad tidings of thy steps. And very sooth for better news mine ears would never soothe. Were he content with worn-out robe upon his back I threw, a heart to pieces rent and torn, when heard the word adieu, replied she, and, rising at once, collected her baggage and treasure and jewels, and equipped herself and her slave girls for the march, whilst the wazir went to take his leave of the sultan of Basara, who sent by him presents and rarities for the soldan of Egypt. Then he set out at once upon his homeward march and journey till he came to Damascus city where he alighted in the usual place and pitched tents and said to his suit, We will halt sin night, here to buy presents and rare things for the sultan. Now Ajib bethought him of the past, so he said to the eunuch, O Laik, I want a little diversion. Come, let us go down to the great bazaar of Damascus and see what has become of the cook whose sweetmeats we ate 
and whose head we broke. For indeed, he was kind to us, and we entreated him scurvily. The eunuch answered, Hearing is obeying. So they went forth from the tents, and the tie of blood drew Ajib to his father, and forthwith they passed through the gateway, Babzal ferried his height, and entered the city and ceased not walking through the streets till they reached the cookshop, where they found Hassan of Basara standing at the door. It was near time of the mid-afternoon prayer, and so it fortunate that he had just dressed a confection of pomegranate grains. When the twain drew near him and Ajib saw him, his heart yearned towards him, and he noticed the scar of the blow which time had darkened on his brow. He said to him, Peace be on thee, O man. Know that my heart is with thee. But when Badr al-Din looked on his son, his vitals yearned and his heart fluttered, and he hung his head earthward and sought to make his tongue give utterance to his words, but he could not. Then he raised his head humbly and suppliant-wise towards the boy and repeated these couplets. I longed for my beloved, but when I saw his face, abashed I held my tongue and stood with downcast eye, and hung my head in dread, and would have hid my love, but do whatso I would hidden it would not lie. Volumes of plaints I had prepared, reproach and blame, but when we met no single word remembered I. And then he said to them, Heal my broken heart and eat of my sweet meats, for by Allah, I cannot look at thee, but my heart flutters. Indeed, I should not have followed thee the other day, but that I was beside myself. By Allah, answered Ajib, thou dost indeed love us. We ate in thy house a mouthful when we were here before, and thou made us repent of it. For that thou followedst us, and wouldst have disgraced us. So now we will not eat out with thee, save on condition that thou make oath not to go out after us nor dog us. Otherwise, we will not visit thee again during our present stay, for we shall halt a week here, whilst my grandfather buys certain presents for the king. Quoth Hassan of Basara, I promise you this. So Ajib and the eunuch entered the shop, and his father set before them a saucer full of conserve of pomegranate grains. Said Ajib, Sit thee down and eat with us, so haply shall Allah dispel our sorrows. Hassan the Basarite was joyful and sat down and ate with them, but his eyes kept gazing fixedly on Najib's face, for his very heart and vitals clove to him, and at last the boy said to him, Did I not tell thee thou art a most noyous dotard, so to stint thy staring in my face? But when Hassan of Basra heard his son's words, he repeated these lines, Thou hast some art the hearts of men to clip, close-veiled, far-hidden mystery, dark and deep. O thou whose beauty shammed the lustrous moon, Wherewith the saffron morn fears rivalship. Thy beauty is a shrine, shall ne'er decay, Whose signs shall grow until they are all outstripped. Must I be thirst-burned by that Eden brow, And die of pine to taste that Kalsar lip? Hassan kept putting morsels into Ajib's mouth at one time, And at another time did the same by the eunuch, And they ate till they were satisfied and could no more. Then all rose up, and the cook poured water on their hands, and, loosing the silken waist shawl, dried them and sprinkled them with rose water from a casting bottle he had nearby. Then he went out and presently returned with a googlet of sherbet flavored with rose water, scented with musk, and cooled with snow. He set this before them, saying, Complete your kindness to me. So Ajib took the googlet and drank and passed it to the eunuch, and it went round till their stomachs were full and they were surfeited with a meal larger than their wont. Then they went away and made haste in mocking till they reached the tents, where Ajib went into his grandmother who kissed him and, thinking of her son Badr al-Din Hassan, groaned aloud and wept and recited these lines. I still had hoped to see thee and enjoy thy sight, for when thine absence life has lost its kindly light, I swear, my vitals want none other love but thine. By Allah, who can read the secrets of the spite? Then she asked Ajib, Oh, my son, where hast thou been? And he answered, In Damascus city. Whereupon she rose and sat before him with a bit of scone and a saucer of conserve of pomegranate grains, which was too little sweetened. And she said to the eunuch, Sit down with thy master, said the servant to himself. By Allah, we have no mind to eat. I cannot bear the smell of bread. But he sat down and so did Ajib, though his stomach was full of what he had eaten already and drunken. Nevertheless, he took a bit of bread and dipped it in the pomegranate conserve and made shift to eat it, but he found it too little sweetened, for he was cloyed and surfeited, so he said, Fah! What be this wild beast stuff? Oh, my son! cried his grandmother. 
Dost thou find fault with my cookery? I cook this myself, and none can cook it as nicely as I can save thy father, Bar al-Din Hassan. By Allah, O oh my lady, Ajib answered, This dish is nasty stuff. For we saw but now in the city of Bosara a cook who so dresseth pomegranate grains that the very smell openeth a way to the heart, and the taste would make a full man long to eat. And as for this mess compared with his, it is not worth either much or little. When his grandmother heard his words, she waxed wroth with exceeding wrath and looked at the servant. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the twenty-fourth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when Ajib's grandmother heard his words, she waxed wroth and looked at the servant and said, Woe to thee! Dost thou spoil my son and dost take him into common cook shops? The eunuch was frightened and denied, saying, We did not go into that shop. We only passed by it. By Allah, cried Ajib. But we did go in, and we ate until it came out of our nostrils, and the dish was better than thy dish. Then his grandmother rose and went and told her brother-in-law, who was incensed against the eunuch, and sending for him, asked him, Why didst thou take my son into a cook shop? And the eunuch, being frightened, answered, We did not go in. But Ajib said, We did go inside, and ate conserve of pomegranate grains till we were full, and the cook gave us to drink of iced and sugared sherbet. At this the wazir's indignation redoubled and he questioned the castrato, but, as he still denied, the wazir said to him, Speak sooth, sit down and eat before us. So he came forward and tried to eat, but could not eat and threw away the mouthful, crying, Oh my lord, I am suffering since yesterday! By this the wazir was certified that he had eaten with the cooks and bade the slaves throw him, which they did. Then they came down on him with rib basting, which burned him till he cried for mercy and help from Allah, saying, Oh my master, beat me no more, and I will tell thee the truth. Whereupon the wazir stopped the bastinado and said, Now speak, thou sooth, quoth the eunuch. Know then that we did enter the shop of a cook while he was dressing conserve of pomegranate grains, and he set some of it before us. By Allah, I never ate in my life its like, nor tasted aught nastier than this stuff which is now before us. Badr al-Din Hassan's mother was angry at this and said, Needs thou must go back to the cook and bring me a saucer of conserved pomegranate grains from that which is in the shop. And who it to thy master, that he may say which be the better and the nicer, mine or his, said the unsexed. I will. So on the instant she gave him a saucer and a half dinner, and he returned to the shop and said to the cook, O oh, sheikh of all cooks, we have laid a wager concerning thy cookery in my lord's house, for they have concern of pomegranate grains there also. So give me this half dinner's worth and look to it. For I have eaten a full meal of stick on account of thy cookery, and so do not let me eat aught more thereof. Hassan of Basra laughed and answered, <laughs> By Allah, none can dress this dish as it should be dressed save myself and my mother, and she at this time is in a far country. Then he ladled out a saucerful, and, finishing it off with musk and rose water, put it in a cloth which he sealed and gave to the eunuch, who hastened back with it. No sooner had Badr al-Din Hassan's mother tasted it and perceived its fine flavor and excellence of the cookery, than she knew who had dressed it, and she screamed and <laughs> fell down fainting. The wazir, sorely started, sprinkled rose water upon her, and after a time she recovered and said, If my son be yet of this world, none dressed this conserved of pomegranate grains, but he and this cook is my very son, Badr al-Din Hossin. There is no doubt of it, nor can there be any mistake. For only I and he knew how to prepare it, and I taught him. When the wazir heard her words, he joyed with exceeding joy and said, Oh, the longing of me for a sight of my brother's son. I wonder if the days will ever unite us with him. Yet it is to Almighty Allah only that we look for bringing about this meeting. Then he rose without stay or delay, and, going to his suit, said to them, Be off. Some fifty of you with sticks and staves to the cook's shop, and demolish it. Then pinion his arms behind him with his own turban, 
saying that it was thou, Maddest, that thou mess of pomegranate grains and drag him her perforce, but without doing him a harm. And they replied, It is well. Then the wazir rode off without losing an instant to the palace and, foregathering with the vicary of Damascus, showed him the sultan's orders. After careful perusal, he kissed the letter, placing it upon his head, and said to the visitor, Who is this offender of thine? Quoth the wazir, A man who is a cook. So the vicary sent at once his apparitors to the shop, which they found demolished and everything in it broke into pieces, for whilst the wazir was writing to the palace, his men had done his bidding. Then they awaited his return from the audience, and Hassan of Basara, who was their prisoner, kept saying, I wonder what they have found of the conserve of pomegranate grains to bring things to this pass. When the wazir returned to them after his visit to the vicary, who had given him formal permission to take up his debtor and depart with him, on entering the tent, he called for the cook. They brought him forward, pinioned with his turban, and when Badr al-Din Hassan saw his uncle, he wept with excessive weeping and said, Oh, my lord, what is my offense against thee? How the man who dressed that conserver pomegranate grains? Yes. Didst thou find in it ought to go for the cutting off of my head? That were the least of thy deserts. Oh, my lord, wilt thou not tell me my crime and what aileth the conserve of pomegranate grains? Presently, replied the wazir and called aloud to his men. Bring hither the camels. So they struck the tents, and by the wazir's orders, the servants took Badr al-Din Hassan and set him in a chest, which they had locked and put on a camel. Then they departed and stinted, not journeying till nightfall. When they halted and ate some victual, they took Badr al-Din Hassan out of his chest and gave him a meal and locked him up again. They set out once more and traveled till they reached Kimara, where they took him out of his box and brought him before the wazir who asked him, Art thou he who dressed that conserve of pomegranate grains? Yes, O my lord, he answered, and the wazir said, Fetter him! So they fettered him and returned him to his chest and fed on until they reached Cairo and lighted at the quarters of Al-Radiyan. Then the wazir gave order to take Badr al-Din Hassan out of the chest and sent for a carpenter and said to him, Make me a cross of wood for his fellow, cried Badr al-Din Hassan. And what wilt thou do with it? The wazir replied, I mean to crucify thee thereon. Nail thee thereto, and parade thee all about the city. And why wilt thou use me after this fashion? Because of thy villainous cookery of conserved pomegranate grains, how dost thou dress it and sell it lacking pepper? And for that it lacked pepper, wilt thou do all this to me? Is it not enough that thou hast broken my shop, and smashed my gear, and boxed me up in a chest, and fed me only once a day? Too little pepper! Too little pepper! This is a crime which can be expiated only upon the cross. Then Badr al-Din Hassan marveled and fell a mourning for his life, whereupon the wazir asked him, Of what thinkest thou? And he answered him, Of maggoty heads like thine, for an thou had one ounce of sense, thou hast not treated me thus. Quoth the wazir, It is our duty to punish thee lest thou do the like again. Quoth Badr al-Din Hassan, of a truth, my offense were overpunished by the least of what thou hast already done to me, and Allah damn all conserve of pomegranate grains, and curse the hour when I cooked it, and would I had died ere this. But the wazir rejoined, There is no help for it. I must crucify a man who sells conserve of pomegranate grains black pepper. All this time, the carpenter was shaping the wood, and Badr al-Din looked on, and thus they did all night, when his uncle took him and clapped him into the chest, saying, the thing shall be done tomorrow. Then he waited till he knew Badr al-Din Hassan to be asleep, when he mounted and taking the chest up before him, entered the city and rode to his own house, where he alighted and said to his daughter, Sit out, Hassan. Praise be to Allah who hath reunited thee with thy husband and the son of thine uncle. Up now, and order the house as it was on thy bridal night. So the servants arose and lit the candles, and the wazir took out his plan of the nuptial chamber, and directed them what to do till they had set everything in its stead, so that whoever saw it would have no doubt but it was this very night of the marriage. Then he bade them put down Badr al-Din Hassan's turban on the settle, as he had deposited with his own hand, and in like manner his back trousers and the purse which were under the mattress, and told his daughter to undress herself and go to bed in the private chambers as was on her wedding night, adding, When the son of thy uncle comes into thee, say to him, Thou hast loitered while going to the privy, and call him to lie by thy side, and keep him in converse till daybreak, when we will explain the whole matter to him. 
Then he bade take Badr al-Din out of the chest after loosing the fetters on his feet and stripping up all that was on him, save the fine shirt of blue silk in which he had slept on his wedding night, so that he was well nigh naked and trouserless. All this was done while he was sleeping on utterly unconscious. Then, by doom of destiny, Badr al-Din Hassan turned over and awoke and, finding himself in a lighted vestibule, said to himself, Surely I am in the mazes of some dream. So he rose and went on to a little to an inner door and looked in and lo, he was in the very chamber wherein the bride had been displayed to him. And there he saw the bride al and the settel in his turban and all of his clothes. When he saw this, he is confounded and kept advancing with one foot and retiring with the other, saying, Am I sleeping or waking? And he began rubbing his forehead and saying, For indeed he was thoroughly astounded. By Allah, verily this is the chamber of the bride who is displayed before me. Where am I then? I was surely but now in a box. Whilst he was talking with himself, Sit al-Hassan suddenly lifted the corner of the chamber curtain and said, O my lord, wilt thou not come in? Indeed thou hast loitered long in the water closet. When he heard her words and saw her face, he burst out laughing and said, Of a truth this is a very nightmare among dreams. Then he went in sighing and pondered what had come to pass with him and was perplexed about his case. And his affair became yet more obscure to him when he saw his turban and bag trousers and when, feeling the pocket, he found the purse containing the thousand gold pieces. He stood still and muttered, Allah is all-knowing. Assuredly I am dreaming a wild waking dream. Then said the Lady of Beauty to him, What ails thee to look puzzled and perplexed? Adding, Thou wast a very different man during the first of the night. He laughed and asked her, How long have I been away from thee? And she answered him, Allah preserve thee and his holy name be about thee. Thou didst but go out an hour ago for an occasion and return. Are thy wits clean gone? When Badr al-Din heard this, he laughed and said, Thou hast spoken truth, but when I went out from thee, I forgot myself a while in the draught house, and dreamed that I was a cook at Damascus, and abode there ten years. And there came to me a boy who was of the sons of the great, and with him a eunuch. Here he passed his hand over his forehead and, feeling the scar, cried, By Allah, O my lady, it must have been true. For he struck my forehead with a stone and cut it open from eyebrow to eyebrow. And here is the mark. So it must have been on wake. But perhaps I dreamt it when we fell asleep. I and thou, in each other's arms, for me seems it was as though I travelled to Damascus without tabras and trousers, and set it up as a cook there. Then he was perplexed and considered for a while, and said, By Allah, I also fancy that I dressed a conserve of pomegranate grains and put too little pepper in it. By Allah, I must have slept in the numerosant and have seen the whole thing in a dream. But how long was that dream? Allah upon thee, said Sit al-Husn. And what more sawest thou? So he related all to her and presently said, By Allah, had I not woke up, they would have nailed me to a cross of wood. Wherefore? asked she, and he answered, for putting too little pepper in the conserve of pomegranate grains, and me seem they demolished my shop and dashed to pieces my pots and pans, destroyed all my stuff and put me in a box. They then sent for the carpenter to fashion a cross for me, and would have crucified me thereupon. Now, Alhom Delilah, thanks be to Allah, for that all this happened to me in sleep and not on wake. <laughs> Sit al-Hassan laughed and clasped him to her bosom and he her to his. Then he thought again and said, By Allah, it could not be safe while I was awake. Truly I know not what to think of it. Then he lay him down and all night he was bewildered about his case, now saying, I was dreaming. And then saying, I was awake. Till morning when his uncle Shams al-Din, the wazir, came to him and saluted him. When Badr al-Din Hassan saw him, he said, By Allah. Art thou not he who bade bind my hands behind me and smash my shop, and nail me to a cross on a matter of conserved pomegranate grains, because the dish lacked a sufficiency of pepper? Whereupon the wazir said to him, Know, O my son, that truth hath shown its soothfast, and the concealed hath been revealed. Thou art the son of my brother, and I did all this with thee to certify myself that thou hast indeed he who went into my daughter that night. 
I could not be sure of this till I saw that thou knewest the chamber and thy turban and thy trousers and thy gold and the papers and thy writing and in that of thy father, my brother. For I had never seen thee before that and knew thee not. And as to thy mother, I have prevailed upon her to come with me from Basra. So saying, he threw himself on his nephew's breast and wept for joy. And Badr al-Din Hassan, hearing these words from his uncle, marveled with exceeding marvel and fell on his neck, and also shed tears for him of excess delight. Then said the wazir to him, O my son, the sole cause of all this was passed between me and thy sire, and all that had occurred to part them. Lastly, the wazir sent for Ajib, and when his father saw him, he cried, And this is he who struck me with the stone. Quoth the wazir, This is thy son! And Badr al-Din Hassan threw himself upon the boy and began repeating, Long have I wept o'er severance, ban in bane. Long from mine eyelids tear rills rail in rain. And vowed I of time reunion bring, My tongue from name of severance I'll restrain. Joy hath o'ercome me to distress that I, From joy's revulsion to shed tears am fain. Ye are so trained to ears, O ein of me, you weep with pleasure as you weep with pain. When he had ended his verse, his mother came in and threw herself upon him and began reciting. When we met, we complained. Our hearts were sore wrung. But plaint is not pleasant for a messenger's tongue. Then she wept and related to him what had befallen her since his departure. And he told her what he had suffered. And they thanked Allah Almighty for their reunion. Two days after his arrival, the wazir Shams al-Din went in to the sultan and, kissing the ground between his hands, greeted him with the greeting due kings. The sultan rejoiced at his return, and his face brightened and, placing him hard by his side, asked him to relate all that he had seen in his wayfaring at what so had betide him in his going and coming. So the wazir told him all that had passed from first to last, and the sultan said, Thanks be to Allah for thy victory, and the winning of thy wish and thy safe return. To thy children and thy people. And now I needs must see the son of thy brother, Hassan of Basara. So bring him to the audience hall tomorrow. Shams al-Din replied, Thy slave shall stand in thy presence tomorrow. Inshallah, if it be God's will. Then he saluted him and, returning to his own house, informed his nephew of the sultan's desire to see him. Whereto replied Hassan, Huailum the Basarite. The slave is obedient to the orders of his lord. And the result was that the next day he accompanied his uncle, Shams al-Din, to the divan. And, after saluting the sultan and doing him reverence in the most ceremonious obeisance, and with most courtly obsequiousness, he began improvising these verses. The first in rank to kiss the ground shall deign, before you and all ends and aims attain. You are honored found, and all that hope of you shall gain more honor than hope hope to gain. The sultan smiled and signed him to sit down. So he took a seat close to his uncle, Shams al-Din, and the king asked him his name. Quoth Badr al-Din Hassan, The meanest of thy slaves is known as Hassan the Basarite, who is instant in prayer for thee day and night. The sultan was pleased at his words, and, being minded to test his learning and prove his good breeding, asked him, Dost thou remember any verses in praise of them all on the cheek? I do. And begin reciting. When I think of my love in our parting smart, my groans go forth and my tears upstart. He's a mole that reminds me in color and charms, or the black of the eye and the grains of the heart. The king admired and praised the two couplets and said to him, Quote something else. Allah bless thy sire and may thy tongue never tire. So he began. That cheek more spot they even with a grain of musk, nor did they hear of the simile strain. Nay, marvel at the face comprising all beauty, nor falling short by single grain. The king shook with pleasure and said to him, Say more, Allah bless thy days. So he began. O you whose mole on cheek enthroned recalls a dot of musk upon a stone of ruby, grant me your favors, be not stone at heart, core of my heart whose only sustenance you be. Quoth the king, Fair comparison, O Hassan. Thou hast spoken excellently well, and hast proved thyself accomplished in every accomplishment. Now explain to me, how many meanings be there in the Arabic language for the word karl or mole? 
he replied. Allah keep the king. Seven and fifty, and some by tradition say fifty, said the sultan. Thou sayest soon, presently adding. Hast thou knowledge as to the points of excellence in beauty? Answered Badr al-Din Hassan. Beauty consisteth in brightness of face, clearness of complexion, shapeliness of nose, gentleness of eyes, sweetness of mouth, cleverness of speech, slenderness of shape, and seemliness of all attributes. But the acme of beauty is in the hair, and indeed Al-Shihab de Hijazi hath brought together all these items in his doggerel verse of the Metra Bajaz. And it is this, Say thou to skin be soft, to face be fair, and gaze, nor shall they blame how so thou stare. Fine nose in beauty's list is high esteem, nor less an eyeful bright and debonair. A.K. did they well to lord the lovely lips, which I in the sleep of me will never spare. A winning tongue, a stature tall and straight, a seemly union of gifts barest rare. But beauty's acne in the hair one views it, so hear my strain, it was some few excuse it. The sultan was captivated by his converse and, regarding him as a friend, asked, What meaning is there in the saw? Sharai is foxier than the fox. And he answered, Know, O king, whom almighty Allah keep, that the Lujis Sharia was wont during the days of the plague to make a visitation to Al-Najjal. And, whenever he stood up to pray, there came a fox which would plant himself facing him and which, by mimicking his movements, distracted him from his devotions. Now when this became longsome to him, one day he doffed his shirt and set it upon a cane and shook out the sleeves. Then, placing his turban on the top, girding his middle with a shawl, he stuck it up in the place where he used to pray. Presently up trotted the fox according to his custom, and stood over against the figure, whereupon Shariah came behind him and took him. Hence the sayer saith, Shariah foxier than the fox. When the sultan heard Badr al-Din Hassan's explanation, he said to his uncle Shams al-Din, Truly, this the son of thy brother is perfect in courtly breathing, and I do not think that his like can be found in Cairo. At this, Hassan arose and kissed the ground before him and sat down again as a mamdu could sit before his master. When the sultan had thus assured himself of his courtly breeding and bearing his knowledge of the liberal arts and belles letters, he joyed with exceeding joy and invested him with a splendid robe of honor and promoted him to an office whereby he might better his condition. Then Badr al-Din Hassan arose and, kissing the ground before the king, wished him continuance of glory and asked leave to retire with his uncle, the wazir Shams al-Din. The sultan gave him leave and issued forth that the two returned home, where food was set before them and they ate what Allah had given them. After finishing his meal, Hassan repaired to the sitting chamber of his wife, the Lady of Beauty, and told her what had passed between him and the Sultan, whereupon quoth she, He cannot fail to make thee a cup companion, and give thee largesse in excess, and load thee with favors and bounties. So shalt thou by Allah's blessing be spread like the greater light, the rays of thy perfection wherever thou be, on shore or on sea, said he to her. I propose to recite a Tazira, an ode in his praise, that he may redouble in affection for me. Thereupon Hassan shut himself up and composed these couplets on a solid base, and abounding in inner grace, and copies them out in a handwriting of the nicest taste. They are as follows. Mine is a chief who reads most hot estate, threading the pathways of the good and great. His justice makes all regions safe and sure, and against forward foes bars every gate. Bold lion, hero saint, ain't if you call seraph or sovereign, he with all may rate. The poorest supplicant rich from him returns, all words to praise him were inadequate. He to the day of peace the saffron morn, and murky night and furious warfare's bait. Bow neath his gifts are necks, and by his deeds, as king of freeborn souls, he joys his state. Allah increase for us his terms of years, and from his lot avert all risk and fears. When he had finished transcribing the lines, he dispatched them in charge of one of his uncle's slaves to the sultan, who perused them and his fancy was pleased. So he read them to those present and all praised them with the highest praise. Thereupon he sent for the writer to his sitting chamber and he said to him, 
Thou art from this day forth my boon companion. And I appoint to thee a monthly soul of a thousand dirhams over and above that I bestowed on thee aforetime. So Hassan rose and kissing the ground before the king several times, prayed for the continuance of his greatness and glory and the length of life and strength. Thus, Badr al-Din Hassan, the Basarite, waxed high in honor, and his fame flew forth to many regions, and he obeyed in all comfort and solace and delight of life with his uncle and his own folk, till death overtook him. When the Caliph Harun al-Rashid heard this story from the mouth of his wazir, Ja'far the Barmicide, he marveled much and said, It behooves that these stories be written in letters of liquid gold. Then he set the slave at liberty and assigned to the youth who had slain his wife such a monthly stipend as sufficed to make his life easy. He also gave him a concubine from amongst his own slave girls, and the young man became one of his cup companions. Yet this story is in no wise stranger than the tale of the tailor and the hunchback and the Jew and the reeve and the Nazarene and what betided them. Quoth the king, and what may that be? So Shahrazad began in these words, The Hunchback's Tale. 1001 Arabian Nights audio drama from Sir Richard Burton's Timeless Classic, Arabian Nights Entertainments, The Tale of Nur Adin and Son Part 2 features Dustin Dar Jafar, Anthony Bami, Khalif, Marguerite Shahzad, Hamran Nahai, Sultan of Cairo, Sultan of Basra, Richard Garner, Lake the Unit, Zaid Patterson, Wazir, Warren Blackie, Abdul Adin Hassan. Karen Heyman, Sitan Al Hassan, Danny Zad, Will Roth, Ajib, Daniel McRae, Grandmother, John Longshaw, Afrique, Chris Thurman, Hunchback, Lee Turner, Townsperson, Viceroy Retainer, Robert Cossi Leone, Cook, Townsperson, Stephanie Longshaw, Poet, Townsperson, Rip Elliott, Townsperson, Schoolchild, Justin Grant, Townsperson, School Monitor, Baisal Yakub, Schoolchild. Sound effects from freesound.org. Music featuring Akrabu, Dreaming and Astral Visions. Selections from Winds of Change. Middle Eastern Ambience, Secrets Unknown, Hidden, Bangra, Bazillion Drums, Angry Tribe Human Sacrifice, Jawari, licensed by FootageFirm.com. Opening and ending credits theme, Enduring and Steve Irwin, and Arabian Adventures by Music Baker, licensed by UtterSparks.com. Desert Gems Audio, and Stephen Williams by Stephanie Marshall. Copyright 2014, all rights reserved.